Hello and happy Tuesday. Welcome back to another Good Boss episode. Guys, today's guest is someone I have had written in my notebook from all the way back in Feb of 2020 when I started planning and dreaming of what this podcast would be. And I jotted down a whole bunch of names and hers was on the list. And two years later, I'm so happy to be making it happen. Um, I truly think I manifested something here because later that year, we actually started working together on design as well as photo and video shoots. So Belinda owns Perth-based jewelry brand called Bianco. And if you know me well by now, you know that I love a good tagline. So here is theirs. Bianco is everyday luxury for the modern woman. So good. I love it. So welcome to Good Boss. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I absolutely love that tagline. And it's something that is so evident in your brand that you do want to make these pieces that you create so affordable for a luxury kind of woman. Was that like the vision from the start with Bianco? 100%. It was born out of a desire to create luxurious pieces made from high quality materials, um, but at accessible pricing. Mm. So instead of um, using, for example, South Sea pearls, we use freshwater pearls, which are Mm. just as as lovely, just as durable, um, but obviously a fraction of the price. Mm. Um, So... I just saw a gap in the market um, and I was of an age where we were buying uh, sort of you wanted to buy a nicer gift for your friend or it might have been bridesmaids jewellery or something a bit more sentimental. So I wanted to create um, jewellery that sort of fit, fit filled that gap. Mm. Yeah, it's so true that a lot of that is out there in the market is so expensive you know like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and for the majority of people out there it's just not realistic unless you just have a super high earning job so I think something like Bianco is is amazing because it does fill that gap of being a little bit more affordable but still it looks luxurious and it is still such great quality so I think you definitely nailed it in front in terms of fitting that gap in the market so obviously you have been around jewelry for practically your whole life, it seems like. So can you fill people in on your background and your childhood and kind of what influenced you to be such a lover of jewellery? Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents own a jewellery store in the city and they've had the store now for probably 30 plus years. Um, Dad's background was in gemology. So um, he originally wholesaled gemstones and then owned a store. Um, they're originally on King Street but then moved around the corner to Hay Street. So they've been in the business for years and as a child we would spend school holidays at the store and then as we got older we'd get on the bus after school, go into the city, meet up with mum and dad, muck around there, do our homework from the store and then go home with them. Mm. Um, so I was forever surrounded by jewellery and jewellery design and even when we were too young to sort of be helping on the sales floor. We're just having that conversation in the background, dad serving customers and and talking to staff about um, different materials and products and design and it's just sort of been there the whole time. Mm, you're like guess, getting brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's like infiltrated. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of how, it, mm. how um, I was exposed to it. Mm. And I'm curious, where did your parents' love for jewellery start for them? So dad actually was a registered builder for the first part of his um, adult life, but his father, so my grandfather, was into gemology um, and then dad wanted a, well, opted for a career change and then started the business with my grandfather doing the gem wholesaling and then together they opened the store. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's something that's just, it seems like it's almost meant to be that it's trickled down to now you yeah. starting and owning your own jewellery brand. Yeah. You actually started Bianco while you were still working at your parents' business. Mm-hmm. How did they feel about you starting this other business while still working for theirs? Like did they feel supportive or was there a bit of like, oh, what are you doing? Like why don't you – like was there almost a feeling of them wanting you to take over the family business? There was. So I actually had the idea for the business when I was working for a different company. So I 
I think there was always that idea that um, my sister and I would go into the family business. This was during high school and mm. obviously on school holidays we would we would help out. But it was almost that it was too easy of an option or a too obvious option for us. So we both my sister and I ended up doing university degrees in completely different things. Um, so my first degree was I went to Whopper and I studied commerce, but I ended up going into marketing and events and I worked for a number of years um, in film and um, music events, sporting events, and I absolutely loved it. And so my last job in that field was um, for a company that worked in the public arts sector and it was a not-for-profit and I really enjoyed it but it was just getting to that point where you're working nine to five in the office and then every event was happening outside of working hours and weekends and I just got to a point where I wanted to be the one buying the tickets to the show Mm. and um, not working behind the scenes anymore. I think Mm. I just sort of outgrown it and so I had a thought, I had to think about what I wanted to do instead because by that point I had done two degrees. My second degree I went to WAPA and I studied arts management um, and I'd worked in that field, realised it probably wasn't exactly what I wanted to do long, time, long term. I, I loved it at, the, at that point of my life but I sort of outgrew it. Um, and so it was around the time where people were starting to start their own businesses and <laughs> I sort of thought, what could I do that would facilitate a lifestyle that I would really like? So yeah. I had this idea of, um, you know, waking up in the morning, checking some emails, taking the dog for a walk, <laughs> um, some more emails and then going and meeting a friend for lunch, like this really like crazy <laughs> lifestyle. And I was like, what can I do that's going to enable this? And I said, well, I've got a – I've got – connections in the jewellery world maybe I'll start my own jewellery brand online and it'll be amazing and um so by that point I had I had the idea I, I moved on from the arts and I thought I'd get back into business with my parents um re-expose myself to the industry get to know customer mm. um requests as well sort of get an idea of what people were wanting mm. um re train myself in the sales and just refresh Mm. sort of thing so when I started working for mum and dad Bianco was always on the horizon but I was expecting to be able to do both um and I did Mm. for a number of years and Bianco just started as a hobby I'd go to trade shows uh with dad with the intention of buying for the for the shop and then I'd take a half an hour break and go look at a stockist for myself or um, split the time up between the two mm. businesses. Obviously at that point the main focus was the store but I was able to start my business on on a small scale yeah. and just have it as a hobby on the side. Um, so there's not like as much pressure. Exactly. So it really well. didn't matter if I didn't make any sales because I had my income coming from the store and it was something I could – take some risks with in terms of design. I didn't have to order too many. I was basically designing jewellery that I liked mm. <laughs> for myself and then <laughs> um, friends would buy it as well and it was, it was such a, like, it was exciting to get a sale but it really didn't matter if I if I made sales or not at that point. Um, so I think at that, to answer your original question, I think mum and dad still probably had the hope that I was going to take over the business. Um, my sister had chosen a different career path at this point so the main focus was on me but at the same time mum and dad definitely understood what it was like to have a brick and mortar store and what sort of um, implications that had Mm. on lifestyle so I think I can probably count on one hand the number of times mum and dad have been on a holiday just because that physical space yeah had to have someone there and if a staff member was sick or um someone requested specifically dad to serve them and and I think that was also another issue was that the business was my parents so people were there to see them not necessarily the staff and it's taken a really long time like mum and dad are sort of semi-retired now um, but it's taken a really long time for customers to learn to ask for other people Mm. so I think they definitely as much as they wanted or would have hoped that we I would have taken over the business. I think they understood as well the, um, the des- I guess, how attractive an online business is as well. Um, I mean, if there's a way 
to to have done both. They probably would have loved it. But I think when they look at the fact that I'm able to support myself now um, independently and through my business and have quite an enjoyable lifestyle, mm. they're happy for me as well. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so interesting how you actually were lucky enough to be in this environment of in the jewellery shop and learning from your parents what works and what doesn't and also being able to reflect within yourself like, okay, I can see the implications that having an, a physical shop has on your lifestyle and that's not for me so I'm going to go fully online. And then on top of that, the implications of being so close to your brand mm-hmm. and something I've noticed through your Instagram and your brand is that you don't show your face a lot <laughs> and now it's just clicking in my mind that this is probably for a purpose, like you don't want to be linked too much because then people expect everything to be coming directly from you, right? Correct. Although Mina, your previous guest, is consistently asking me to go put my face in front of the business. People do like to know who's behind it and have some kind of Mm. personality. Um, But I think for it to be able to hold on its own as its own business without a face is definitely helpful. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it's my preference as well, but yeah. I'm getting better. I'm getting better at being able to put my face in. And people also want to know the history behind it and yeah. I'm the one that answers the majority of the emails. So if a customer has a question about their order or wants to know how to work out a ring size or um, wants to pick up their order rather than have it shipped, they will contact me and I'm the one that responds and so mm. they get to know the owner that way and mm. I think they, they definitely um, they like that personal factor mm. as well. Yeah, so I do think that's important. Yeah, people always say, you know, people buy from people. Exactly. And even though you're selling products, like people still want to know, well, how are you making the products? Where are they from? People are so curious these days. Yeah. I feel like a few decades ago, no one cared about who was behind the business mm-hmm. or the corporation. No one cared about how the clothes were made or where they came from, whether it was ethically sourced or not. You yeah. know, it's very new, this whole concept of people wanting to know Yeah, and I think people really enjoy supporting small business as well um, and are moving away from the bigger brands and the chain brands. And Mm. I think as long as you are comparable, like if they're they're picking between two products that are similar quality, similar price, Mm. they will prefer to support the smaller player. Mm. Um, And that's really nice as well. Yeah, it's good for us. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely good for us. Yeah. So... As a business owner, obviously you do pretty much everything apart from marketing as we're going to touch on later. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in charge of, you know, designing the jewellery and answering the emails, as you said, and you pack, pack the orders. You know, you do all the um, packing and sending yourself. There's a lot of different hats that you wear, but obviously the passion came from jewellery. So how do you find kind of having to put on that business hat, put on that customer service hat, put on that packing orders hat, like does it ever get a bit much or are you kind of used to now like taking on all those roles? It's probably reached a point now that it's a bit much but I think it was one of those things that was required to really understand the business as well. Mm. Um, For example, packing the orders, you have that whole unboxing experience. So when someone receives their order, they want it to be packed nicely. I mean I... And one for online shopping, but and sometimes I'll place an order with a brand that I love and spend a fair amount of money, and then you receive the package and it's just the items thrown in a plastic bag, and you're like, oh, mm, like not what you expect. No, or like a little bit of tissue paper or a little note would be lovely. So, packaging is something that I um, spent time and money and worked with actually another local designer to produce and. And I get a lot of positive feedback on it. People love the boxes. Mm. It's something that they can keep long-term. People travel with the boxes. Um, And I just make sure our packaging is all sustainable but it's still beautiful. Mm. It can be both. Um, So that was something that I think was important that I had to do um, myself. Answering emails, customer service is I enjoy doing it. It's to a point now that it's difficult to manage every online, every inquiry Um, tracking shipping and um, measurements and people wanting to know what's coming next and do I have styles in rose gold for example so so many little inquiries which I am trying really hard to stay on top of and answer quickly but 
in amongst every other email I get and things I do in the day, it is starting to to um, become a bit more difficult. Um, even like Instagram DMs, yeah, I get I was just so about many. <laughs> um, so I have recently, probably in the last six months, taken on someone part time to help me um, do some of those more admin things and also with my social media because I'd end up spending half a day trying to do one Instagram post and then everything else would just um, fall off the um, the table. So. Mm. It's about figuring out what I do best and what I can outsource and what other people can do better, um, yeah, which that. is something that it's taken me a couple of years to sort of learn what I required of the business and who was the best person for that job. Mm. So even this year it's the business is going to change again to allow me to focus more on the design and production, which is something that I love doing and I feel the most comfortable doing mm. and having other people manage the other areas of the business that they're more than capable of doing as well. Mm, like admin and social media. And yeah, yeah. Like all those other parts. TikTok, <laughs> I, I don't understand, but um, Samara and Mina both both get it and so that's their thing. Mm. All I do is just take videos of my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you said earlier about the fact that when it started it was just you without mm. these other women, which means that you know every little nook and cranny of your business yeah so that and even from social media to packing to emails and all of that so now when you hire an assistant to come on part-time you can then tell her exactly how it everything needs to be done mm -hmm. and, and then she can also put in her input as from her experience as well yeah. as how things need to be done but I think it is quite important I'm actually reading a book at the moment and it's it's talking about hiring and it's talking about how you should kind of map out your company as you want it to look like when it's done so all the different positions and what you should do is you should start at the bottom and be that person and then once that role you're happy with how it's running then you outsource mm -hmm. and you bring on someone and then you move up to the next role and then you you know make sure that that's running perfectly and that you have a process and you're mm -hmm. organized and then you hire and then you just keep and keep on going which I think is such a good way of doing it for you personally do you and for your business, do you see yourself hiring more and more people and keeping on expanding the team? Yeah, so I'm at a point now where I have to decide what path we're going to take. Mm. Um, whether we stay a retailer or if we look into the wholesale arm. Um, What's the difference? So the difference would be we are, if, as a wholesaler, we are designing collections and selling them to retailers to sell on our behalf and retailer would be where the one-stop shop. So we, if you want to buy Bianco, you need to go to bianco.com.au mm. and that's where you're buying it from. Wholesaling would be you could buy it from a boutique mm. in, the, in the mall, for example. Which you're already doing now. Yes, but on yeah. a small scale. Okay. Um, so we only have a we have a small number of um, retailers Australia wide, and that's more of like a representation. So we have customers in Melbourne and Sydney that might email and say, "I love your rings, but I don't know my ring size. I really want to go try one on, and or necklace. I just don't know how it's going to look. I want to wear all these earrings. I want to wear on my wedding day, but I need to see them. Completely understand that. So we have some businesses across the country that um, have our pieces and allow for that. Mm. Um, but it's whether we really take that on and expand mm. um, to more locations across Australia, internationally as well. Yeah, there could um, be thousands of. Yeah, and that's a completely different business model. Uh, pricing is different. Um, you have to look into the legality, the barriers, of barriers to entry, shipping's different. Everything's different and if you're wholesaling, you have to work quite far in advance. So people are buying collections, what they're buying now, they're expecting to receive for a like mid-year drop. Mm. So you're constantly need to be working ahead of time. Yeah. Whereas right now I work current. So what I produce now is available to buy now um, and it's more immediate so I can work off trends that I have I can look at something and be like oh I think that's going to be a, a trend in the next couple of months I'll produce that whereas wholesaling you're forecasting quite far in advance mm. um so there's a lot of changes so to answer your question about staffing for example if we go wholesale we'll end up having we probably need a warehouse space because um, your mm. volume of stock increases and mm. we would need someone to manage 
those wholesaler um, relationships and the logistics as well, um, preparing stock in large volumes, shipping that stock to the wholesalers, managing those relationships, invoicing and all that. Whereas if it's we're keeping our online business, again, we would probably need a space, but the staff members might be more of a e-commerce web-based um, customer service mm. because those inquiries are only going to increase. Mm. Um, so it's just about figuring out which way is mm. the better way to go. Um, I don't know yet. <laughs> I guess are you thinking about it as well from a lifestyle perspective because you mentioned it at the beginning starting this business was very much also mm -hmm. as well as it being based on your passion for jewelry it's also based on being able to give you this amazing lifestyle that people don't have when they work a nine-to-five yeah. and so I guess with a decision of going wholesale or retail does that come into play as well like what is my lifestyle yeah, going definitely. to look like so wholesale yeah. allows you to focus on the design and production and then obviously you're still doing campaign shoots and producing lookbooks but you're you're sort of selling what is wanted so you would share the collection with um a selling agent or, or retailers they would place their orders and you're producing to meet demand um which is great from a sustainable um mm. environmentally friendly sort of things so you don't end up with too much wastage um and once you sell those collections to the retailer, you can kind of step back because you've done the work. Um, yeah. Whereas a retailer yourself, not only are you producing the and designing and producing, but you have to sell and not just sell. You are marketing, you are across social media, you are packing the orders, distributing, tracking, following up. Um, yeah, so mm. it's a lot more to play with. Um definitely not something I can manage on my own but I will get the team to do mm. it with me obviously your profit margins are different across both mm. um you would obviously earn a, like your income would be higher through retail because you're able, you're not having to um allow for wholesaler margins because mm. um, they would take commission obviously off each well they product. would want to yeah they would want to if something was a hundred dollars retail they wouldn't be expected they wouldn't want to pay more than fifty dollars for it mm, for example yeah, so yeah. you're already cutting your yeah. amount in half um and and then by with that in mind your overall price becomes a bit higher mm. because you have to allow for those margins um and i'm i'm conscious of not making my products too expensive mm. so there's a lot of things to weigh up definitely um and I'm not sure which direction is the yeah. best to go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's definitely at a point now that I, I can't wear all the hats. So mm. once I figure out which way we're going to go, then I'll just get the team involved mm. um, or hire the right people to help me mm. help support that. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of your team, I totally didn't even intend on having both of your episodes be so close to one another. Mm -hmm. But last week's episode, if you guys listened, was with Mina from MZ Creative who is um, who? She runs a marketing agency based in Melbourne, mm -hmm. and you've been working with her for quite a few years now. So, if someone is listening um, to this and they do run their own business, and they're thinking like there is this aspect of the business that I just don't like. Well, actually, first of all, talk about because there's a lot of things that you could have outsourced. You didn't have to outsource marketing. You could have outsourced you know, 10 other things, mm -hmm. what was your decision to get that particular aspect of business done by someone else? Just the fact that I didn't have the skills. Mm. <laughs> um, so Mina does all my SEO. Um, she does my Facebook marketing. Um, she's got that knowledge and she does it really well. So I'm able to just not even think about it. And I know she's changing my meta descriptions and creating alt text and all these things that you're <laughs> supposed to do I mean I could definitely do some courses and learn mm. but that's just not where my skill set is mm. so I'd rather um get someone else on board that can do that but also Mina and I have been working together now for for years that she's sort of that person that I bounce design ideas off mm. um she'll help me create content she will plan the whole year around like business strategy and um so she's more than just marketing she's actually mm. become quite an integral part of the business um 
but originally reached out to her because she had a skill set that I didn't have and mm. um, we got along like personally, like personality-wise. Mm. It's just a shame we're across the country. Mm. <laughs> um, although we probably wouldn't get too much work done if we were in the same <laughs> office. <laughs> just chatting away all day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's why I reached out to her and then it got to a point where we wanted to do PR um, and I wanted that, that's something that I was hoping Mina could take on for me but then she said that that wasn't her skill set. Mm. So we found together we found uh, another business that could help us mm. with that. So I think um, it works because everyone knows what they can do and what they can't do um, mm. and are honest about it and only take on what they're able to do well um, and then we outsource what needs to be outsourced. Mm. <laughs> I think that's such a huge um, issue that a lot of business owners have even myself where you get asked to do something and even though deep down you know that this is not really your skill set you're gonna do it anyways because it's like well I'm the only one working for this business there's just me so I'm gonna do everything that gets thrown my way you know but I think it's it's so important to be self-aware like you were and realize this is not my skill set I'm not passionate I don't care about TikTok yeah. <laughs> so I'll just hand it over to somebody else and in return, your business has has had such immense growth from that. Like mm. imagine if you hadn't outsourced to that, like where would your marketing be now? Yeah, if it I couldn't even you? imagine. I mean, I studied marketing, but that was a long time ago and it's mm. changed so much now. And I just don't have time to read all the blogs and mm. and keep across all the algorithm changes. And I just, yeah. I mean, if I was really passionate about it, then I would. But of course, it's just, I yeah. let someone else do that for me. Yeah, and that's true. Like a lot of things do change because marketing is, well, digital marketing is in that online sphere and we all know that the online world is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So on top of doing it, you would also have to be keeping up with it and like yeah, things like TikTok and, you know. Well, now like, I mean, there's – there's platforms that focus on trend forecasting, for example, mm. um, and the whole business is about interpreting catwalks and and deciding what trends are going to be. Mm. For but a TikTok video can change that in 24 hours. Like a trend can be invented literally in a matter of hours, and it just throws everything out the window that you already know. So yeah, I just yeah, I mean, there's other people that that are better at um, keeping across those trends mm. and, and knowing how to apply them to small business or make it relevant to mm. the industry. Mm. Um, and they do that well. So yeah. I leave that to them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so what would your advice be for someone listening? Obviously we've talked about your reasons for outsourcing this particular area of business. What would your advice be for someone listening who does want to outsource something how can they kind of find that person or that agency that can help them in that area? Mm -hmm. Because obviously you've found someone that you guys just gel so well together and it just works. So, yeah, what would your advice be around that? So I found Mina through Instagram. Um, this was a number of years ago now. I understand Instagram's a bit different in that there's just so many more users and I feel like there's it's hard to distinguish um, – those that are genuine mm. over those that um, portray to be genuine. I don't know. It's hard to explain. but I see what you mean. Um, anyone can be a marketing expert yes. through Instagram. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or like a social media yeah, yeah. manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was lucky to find Mina that way. Um, I sent her an email. That's how I found her details. She responded to me um, and we just clicked from the beginning. I think – nowadays it's word of mouth um mm. a lot of people have outsourced or tried working with other businesses um or freelance creatives and mm. all it takes is asking another business or oh, who can you suggest anyone that is really good at graphic design or photography or um social media management and someone will know someone mm. and often it's having um speaking to someone that's had experience with the business is what you're going to get the most value from mm. um, because it's a lot of money and it's a lot of trust as a small business as well it's hard or someone that is used to wearing all the hats it's hard to hand over certain roles mm. and feel confident 
Um, so I think it's one of those things that you really do need to go by word of mouth and, and other people's recommendations and experiences. Mm. And I think with that also comes being part of your community mm-hmm. because you need to know people to be able to get those recommendations. So I think that's really important to keep in mind that from the start of your business, you kind of need to be interacting with other people I'm not sure if you agree but you know because then if it's like five years down the line and you haven't spent those first five years putting yourself out Mm -hmm. there and being social and interacting and then five years later you need to find someone it's like Mm -hmm. well I've got no one to ask I don't know anyone yeah and I think in this world of social media it can be very easy to think oh I don't need to get out there anymore because it's all happening online Um, which I mean it is true that you could also message someone online that you have been speaking to and say like oh who do you use for this but at the same time I think it is important and a good reminder to to get out there and get in your community and and chat to other business owners like just get social. I mean I can't speak for other cities but Perth has got such a great Mm. um, creative community. Uh, Mm. I've worked with some amazing photographers and designers and everyone is so lovely and really supportive of each other and if someone can't help you with one one job they will recommend 10 other people that can and um, that's whilst until recently it's just been me I have always felt like I've had a team um, Mm. surrounding me and between like yeah yourself and Bianca the photographer Mm. and Paige who's done my design work Mm. and Edie as well like there's just always and Ridwan like there's just so many people I could just keep rattling off names that have been really supportive of my business from the start even makeup artists for example that I've used on a shoot years Mm. down the track will I'll see a tag on something on Instagram and someone's asked, oh, where can you get some nice jewellery from? And then they've tagged me and it's just really nice. Um, Everyone's really supportive. Mm. I assume that's the same across most cities, but I think there's something special about Perth as well. Mm. Being slightly smaller and a little bit more remote, we've Mm. really got to have each other's back. (laughs) I totally agree with that. I think it's not as scary as it seems, and especially if you're listening and you are Perth-based, like just get out there and you will soon realise that as soon as you know one person, you'll know everyone and they will just refer you to other people. And, yeah, I think it's just so, so valuable to get out there. I don't think you need to go to like networking events as such. It just sort of happens organically. You can meet up with someone for a coffee, Mm. um, just say oh, I've got some ideas for some design work. I, I'm not sure if you can help me. Can we grab a coffee mm. and, and chat some more? And it might not be relevant to you at that point, but, you know, some time down the track, something will come up and you can remember that person and then you reach out again. Yeah. Um, I feel like everyone's up for a coffee. <laughs> Definitely. <something>. Or a wine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about your collections. Mm-hmm. Um, how many do you release per year, first of all? It changes. Okay. So... Last year I released five, I believe. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't really work calendar year. Um, but so Do you work financial year calendar? No, it's just more so like, so for example, in July 2020 is when I released the birth flower collection mm-hmm. and that was massive, like way bigger than I expected it to be um, and it really elevated the brand to the next level. And that collection, obviously having a flower for every month, wasn't just a a short-term collection. It was going to have at least a 12-month campaign and it's still my biggest seller now, so almost two years later. So that collection overrode like a number of other collections and Mm. today is like the most volume of stock that I have. Mm. Um, So in 2021 I released an additional five collections Um, I had a statement earring collection that was only small because I it was a bit more expensive um, than my usual pieces and I just kind of wanted to test it out. Um, and it was good but it's it sold but I think there was definitely, it was probably just that slightly higher price bracket. Mm. Um, so I learnt from that. Then I've made um, yeah, the other collections from that as well. Some were more personalised which seemed to do well as well but... I've realised this year I'm going to actually try and do more collections and smaller number Mm. of designs Mm -hmm. because I feel once someone's seen a collection, it sort of becomes old news. So there's only so much that they want to see the same pieces Mm. Um, and they want to see something fresh and they want to see 
a different model and they want to see a different um, image collection. So I'm aiming this year for eight collections. Wow. <laughs> um, oh and making gosh. them more like capsule drops. Um, yeah. And just going to give that a go and see how that works. Yeah. So s- smaller number of designs but more frequent collection drops. And does that mean that the collection – when you say capsule, does that mean that it's only available for a certain amount of time and then it's gone forever or? Yes. So yeah. unless what I tend to do, if there's a piece that's really, really popular um, and more timeless, it will sort of become one of the classics and it will mm. just stay. Um, As part of your core. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd be silly not to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but then those that are a bit more trending, mm. once they're done, they're done. Mm. Um, if there's a huge demand and a lot of people wanting it, then I'll bring it back mm. for a short while but Mm. I'm also conscious on sitting on too much stock and old stock as well Mm. um I try not to have sales as well um I do two big sales a year and I limit the sales to that Mm -hmm. so there'd be pieces I I don't want there to be pieces on the website that have been there for a year and and haven't moved so Mm. I'd rather do smaller capsules move them on move to the next thing and keep it fresh and current yeah. That's this year's approach. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to always change it up and try yeah. different yeah. approaches to And what I generally do is actually run sort of surveys through mm. email or um, uh, through social media as well. And I'll ask customers, like, how often would you like to see a new collection? Mm. What do you want to see in these collections? Um, what are you loving at the moment? What are we missing? Um, and we get generally get really good responses from it. So... People tend to say that they would love to see a new collection or new pieces every couple of months, which is why I've gone for the mm. eight um, eight collections this year. Two of those collections I think are going to be quite um, short-lived, mm-hmm. um, so they're a bit separate. So it's probably six core collections and then two small little drops, which yeah. you'll find out about later. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to designing new collections, as you've mentioned, you have some that are kind of more for trending, um, I guess, trending designs or trending concepts of mm-hmm. the moment and then others like your birth flower collection that is more timeless. Mm-hmm. I guess is it maybe risky to do too many of the trending ones like because that reflects on your brand and you, I guess you don't want to be seen as like a, a brand that just does trending stuff all yeah. the time. Like how do you kind of balance between doing collections that are trendy and doing collections that are timeless? The core focus is timeless. Mm. Um, everyday luxury. I mean, there's customers that have worn the same necklace for two, three years um, and then they add, they'll jazz it up by adding something a bit more trendy mm. to it and then um, once that trend passes Mm. then it will um they'll go back to the original piece when it comes to trending collections I never go too crazy Mm. it's still got to have a classic element to it so it might be for example rather than a strand of pearls um all the same shape it might be pearls of different shapes Mm. so it's still pearls it's still a classic design but just a bit of a twist on it okay yeah um so I'll sort of elevate a design, but I won't reinvent mm. the wheel because I just think that's not what my customers want. Mm. They, they're customers for a reason. They follow me for a reason because I obviously like the designs that we make now. Um, so I don't want to veer too far off course, but you do also need to stay relevant. Mm, exactly, so, yeah. So for example, it's yeah, it's hard. So if, um, for example, at the moment, coloured stones and coloured beads are really popular and mm. you'd, you need to – you'd be silly not to incorporate it in some way as long as it's still true to your aesthetic mm. and it looks like your brand. Mm. Um, I think that's good if you try and reinvent the wheel too much or try and be – for example, there's that trend of the, the plastic-looking rings, the really chunky-looking – fun, really fun, but just not what we are. And yeah. I think if we produce them – People would be like, what? This is not you. If I want that, I'll go to that store um, and buy it from them. So I think you just got to stay true to who you are as well. Have a bit of fun with the designs. Mm. Um, I basically only produce pieces that I would wear myself. That's something that I think um, works for me. Yeah, well, because you are in a way your 
ideal kind of target market as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I think makes it even easier to <laughs> to yeah, design yeah. stuff that just works. Yeah. But yeah, I think what you said just before about trends is really good because there are so many trends. So I think being aware of and self-aware of what's going to work for your brand and what isn't is yeah. super important. And I think one thing that we really have going for us at Bianco is the quality. Um, so I know what works in terms of design and materials. I'm not confident with trying something that I've never worked with before. Um, I would hate to produce a collection of, for example, beaded bracelets that just the beading, the plastic doesn't last long term and then mm. six months later everyone's returning it because the elastic's broken or oh, the beading yeah. has changed colour or whatever, I'm not yeah. sure, but that's materials that I'm not familiar with. Mm. Um, when it comes to pearls and gold and silver, I'm really confident in those materials. Mm. I know how the design works. I can look at something and look at the mechanics of it and say, okay, this is only an every now and then piece to wear. Mm. Um, it can't be worn every single day. Or it can't be worn to the gym. It can't be worn in the ocean. So mm. I'm not going to produce it because my customers want to put their pieces on and not take them off and not worry about them. Even if I love the design because it's beautiful and really delicate, it's just not worth the hassle of having to um repair and mm. maintain and communicate and your reputation as well yeah you lose your reputation but also it's just a different way of thinking because you can say you know with our tagline as you said is everyday luxury jewelry pieces for the modern woman if all of a sudden it's like that's our tagline except for this collection <laughs> where it's, yeah. um it just doesn't work so yeah. you have to be consistent across yeah. your entire brand yeah so this is something i'm super excited to get into let's talk about the creative process that goes into putting together and bringing to life each collection um, and I don't know if for the purpose of this you want to focus on maybe just one collection or I don't know if they're all kind of done differently or if you have the same process for all of them but can yeah can you talk us through what the process is from the initial like how do you mm -hmm. even think about what you're going to do next yeah I'd love to hear that I wish there was a process. It, <laughs> honestly, like there's been times where I've done three collections in a week and then other times when it's taken me months to come up with one wow. idea. So it's just really just what comes to me and an, an idea I might have um, and how I'm feeling at the time. But in a, today's market, there's so many jewellery brands, so many designers, it's really hard to stay unique. And I'll come up with an idea and I'll be like, love this idea, it's great. And two weeks later I'll be in the design process getting it sampled and another brand will release a collection that's exactly oh. what. And I'm like, how? I had oh. thought of that idea. And we're all <laughs> influenced by exactly the same same things. So yeah. without realising it, I've been influenced by or drawn inspiration from someone or another brand that, that a competitor has and it's just like, oh, my gosh, like I can't, mm. I can't produce that because it's already out there yet you honestly feel like it was your original idea. So mm. I think that's why something like the Birthflower Collection did so well because I worked with Paige Touze, who's a designer, and she hand-illustrated every design. So we knew that they were unique. There's No one else had mm. that design because they were her own um, creations. And I also loved working with another Perth brand so whilst I had the idea of the shape of the pendant the the chain design the length and and the proportions when it came to the actual illustration illustration's not my skills so mm. I found someone that was able to do it um better and 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 Paige is so easy to work with and I love all of her work so that just was a really great relationship and we knew we were confident that that was a completely unique design and I think that's what customers really liked about it as well. It was different to what any other store could offer them. Mm. Um, so I think that's something that I'm working, going to continue to incorporate into some core collections is ensuring that unique design. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, mm. So with something like that I'll have the idea and I'll – talk to Paige about it, she'll come back with the actual illustrations and then I'll work them into a the product um, and we'll then get them sampled and 
well, first of all, it goes to a CAD design and then we sample it and then we make whatever changes are required before we move on to bulk production. So have you got someone that you contract to do the CAD design each yes, time? Yeah, okay. I've got a team that does the CAD. Again, cool. another skill I can't do. So someone else does CAD for me. Um, but when it comes to other collections where it might be, for example, pearl jewellery or um, chain style necklaces, it really is just something... I have to see something and it's just like a light bulb moment and I can just then see the entire collection. It's it's not a process. I don't lock myself away f- for a couple of days with a sketchbook. <laughs> it's just it just almost just like just makes sense in my head. Yeah. And until I can see the whole thing, I can't produce it. So I do have for like a calendar or a timeline that my PR agency's given me in terms of um, how much lead lead time they need ahead of a collection and then I apply that to then production timelines and I'm always running late but there's Mm. no point producing a collection that's not thought through because it just won't sell Mm. whereas those collections that I've really thought about and I've been really confident in the designs are the ones that do really well Mm. so sometimes there might be eight collections a a (laughs) year and sometimes there might only be three Um, Mm. but I'm definitely getting conscious of only producing designs of that I'm really confident in because Mm. those that I'm like oh they can just be filler Mm. don't sell yeah Um, and it's funny how you already have the mindset before it even goes to goes online that it's just going to be filler and then it just doesn't yeah yeah because sometimes you you think like oh in a collection you need to have rings earrings necklace bracelet Mm. you need to have everything in there but if it doesn't work together then people can't visual they won't buy the whole mm. collection because you almost have to design things that will style well together mm. if there's a random piece in there just because you you've decided to throw it in because <laughs> you feel like you need a ring it, it won't work <laughs> yeah and you work with a production house overseas mm-hmm. that produce all of your jewelry um has it been quite hard with the travel restrictions to I guess, keep that relationship going? Like, is there a big part of it that involves you going there in person or can it all be done kind of online? It can definitely be done online. Um, My workshop's great. They're they're really good at interpreting (laughs) what I'm trying to tell them. Um, (laughs) It would be like I might need to find a bunch of images and sketches and be like this but like this and and not like that and and they they get it. but it's a hundred times easier in person. And when you go to meet with them, they've got ideas as well. Um, you see samples in I, – I design all my own pieces, but the workshop also create pieces which you can look at and be like, oh, actually I really like that link mm. or that chain style you've used. What chain design is that? Mm. Let's apply that to this design. And, and there's only so much you can see in photos. Mm. Um, and – I often meet with them at trade shows and Mm. the trade shows are just amazing and there's thousands and thousands of exhibitors of of all over the world of all different types of product and you just get lost walking pavilions and and it's just that exposure of seeing things that you get ideas and different cultures and and different design processes and different materials that that's what I've really missed um, having not been able to go and meet with them in person. But in terms of the actual process, it's been fine. Um, mm. Just emails, WhatsApp. Mm. <laughs> but are you are you hoping to kind of travel there more and more? Oh, as the travel yeah, absolutely. Um, although yeah. my workshop is based in Hong Kong, um, and with all the political stuff going on over right. there, the yeah. environment's changed a lot. Yeah, um, that's true. Not just for the people that live in Hong Kong, but I don't even know if the trade shows will go ahead or if we'll get nearly as many people attending and exhibiting. Um, but there are trade shows all over the world. The Hong Kong one has, is, to history, has been the biggest oh, wow. um, and the one that everyone goes to, all over, like literally everyone wow. <laughs> in the industry will go to the Hong Kong trade jewellery trade shows, but um, they might just change location, mm. um, which I would then still obviously go to. It doesn't matter where they are. But I do, Hong Kong's always had a really special place. So it's, mm. it will be sad to not be able to go there um, because of what's going on there mm. politically, but it is what it is. Mm. So. Yeah. I feel like your brand is someone or a brand that I've noticed that really utilises influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think all brands do it or some brands might do a little bit of it. Um, how much 
How, how big of a part does influencer marketing play for your marketing as a whole, do you think? Uh, massive. <laughs> because I don't want to put my face in front of the camera and wear my own products. I wear my own products, obviously, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like yeah, styling yeah. them in front of the camera and being like, this is my outfit of the day yeah. and how I'm wearing my pieces. I need other people to do that. Mm. Um, and I need them to be able to do it well. Mm. And then I use their content on my page. So Influencer marketing is something I've done for a while um, and then I hand it over to my PR agency as that's what they specialise in. They've mm. got the relationships and they manage everything for me from communication to I send the gifts out but then they follow up, they send um, briefs and guides on, mm. on the content to produce. Um, yeah, so that's been really good and not only has it been amazing for content and brand awareness it's allowed me to have relationships with more people um a lot of influencers might have media um connections or mm. other designers um so for example I've worked with Edie Edie B um before as an influencer um she's also got a graphic design business and she's the one that created my boxes um so that was a relationship yeah. that would have only happened through influencer. Same with Paige. Um, she was an, uh, gifted as an influencer to begin with oh, and then I realised she was a graphic designer <laughs> and then she's we've worked together for years since then. Yeah. Through Paige I met Bianca, the, her sister that's a photographer. So mm. not only has it been great for like what it is, influencer marketing, but those doors that it's open and the connections that it's made has is, is been amazing. That's so true. I never thought about it that way <laughs> because – it's true, like an influencer, not only do they have perhaps hundreds of thousands of followers, but with you know within those followers are industry connections that you can um, get linked up with and, and then use as well in your own business. For somebody who maybe doesn't work with a PR agency like you do to kind of handle all of that, what maybe could they be doing to potentially start reaching out to someone and... Mm -hmm get those relationships and get those promotions happening? I guess you just have to decide what you want from the relationship as well. Um, there's a lot of influencers you can reach out to and offer gifting in ex product in exchange for um, content, but then you have to figure out are you going to use that content? Is their aesthetic going to match mm. your aesthetic? So for me I use it often for not only is it for brand awareness, but I will use the content they produce on my own feed and in mm. my own socials. If someone has like a really dark um, monochrome, mm. monochrome sort of tone, I'm less likely to work with them because it just doesn't suit the aesthetic of my brand. Mm. Um, so I think it'd be obviously there's so many influencers out there um, on Instagram. It would just be making a list of those that you would – that you really like their content um, and often the micro-influencers uh, produce content that is more valuable than the than the, than the really big ones. Yeah. Um, big ones are always going to charge a fee um, so it just also depends on your budget. So there's some people that don't charge a fee? Yeah. So there's oh. definitely some influencers that are happy in exchange for product okay. too. Yeah. It just means that you have less control over the content mm. and the deliverables um mm. so you just have to be really clear up front what you're hoping for so you might say i i produce x the value of this is this much um would love to give to, to you if um you're interested in the product in exchange i would like one static post and one story with tags mm. like um, be super clear yeah be really clear yeah. and say as well ideally this content would be delivered within um Two, three weeks, whatever it is, because you don't want them to, you know, post it two months later and you don't have it anymore, for example. So just be really clear and upfront um, with what you want and often visual aids of the kind of content mm. that you want produced is really useful. Like providing examples. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and specific. So for me, I'll often say, um, you know, ideally you're just wearing Bianco jewellery if you want to wear other jewellery, that's fine, but make it less obvious. Mm. So if you want to layer it with a few chains, that's totally fine, but make the post 
predominantly about the Bianca yeah. piece that you're wearing. Otherwise, yeah. people get confused. They don't yeah. know what's yours and what's someone else's. Mm. Um, and if someone's not comfortable doing it, they will just say so. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, yeah, if you're just really honest with what you want up front. Mm. A lot of people are happy in exchange for gifting if mm. they if they like the product. Mm. Um, and then you just have to obviously don't expect it straight away because a lot of them will work ahead of time with their content, which is why it's important to have deliverable like timelines mm. as well if they're important for you. Mm. Um, it's almost like having a bit of a contract. Yeah, but 100%. It is a, a contract. Yeah. You just can't be too picky on what's produced because you're not paying them. Yeah. Whereas if you did have a budget, there are definitely some influencers that will work on a smaller budget, like a couple hundred dollars, and you can have more direction and control over the content that they produce. Plus um, the free product. Yeah. Yep. Or some of them will even return the product if that's mm. being paid for. Mm. So it just depends what the item is and, mm. and how much value you find in it and whether you, you if they return it, you can reuse it or if mm. it's like a one-time use thing. Mm. Um yeah, or the other way is to offer pieces to other brands who use, for example, in photo shoots. So you might, um, yeah. let's say you do shoes and you might want to reach out to a stylist and say, this is my new collection of shoes. Um, if you ever have any shoots that you're looking for, um, some footwear, I would happily yeah. like loan some pieces for you to use. Yeah. Um, so you whilst... You might not be dealing with the influencer. You can work a lot with stylists who are used to loaning. So they pick up, return, mm. um, and they will use it across maybe a whole bunch of different shoots. You might not have control over where it's used and with what brand, but a stylist is only going to pair it with yeah. with other designers that it works. So they, yeah, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so clever. That's such a good tip. Even I'm just thinking as well of all wedding photographers who mm -hmm. often put together styled shoots yep. to obviously show off yep. their photography skills. Makeup could, artists. Yeah, you could reach out and say, hey, I'd love to do your makeup or jewellery. I'd love to have your, um, your model wear my necklace, shoes. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's so yeah. many ways of getting in, getting a slice of that pie. So that's – and it's also free. Like that, that, that's a free way of getting – like doing advertising. Yeah, well, a stylist will often – a photo shoot will require like makeup hair, clothing, accessories. accessories. Mm. So you may as well be the first to put your hand up and just send them like your lookbook or your current mm. campaign imagery and just say whenever you need anything, this um, this content, I can, mm. I can this product, I can drop it off to you or you can pick it up whenever you want mm. and use it for your shoots. There's really no excuse in this day and age. Yeah. <laughs> there is always something you can do, always someone yep. you can talk to. I love it. Another aspect of your business that I love and that not many businesses do is this whole community aspect that I think is a pretty big pillar and value of Bianco and a way that you do that is through your lifestyle hub, which is your mm -hmm. blog that you have on the website, posting articles, whether it's surrounding jewellery and fashion or whether it's surrounding other topics. What was kind of the idea behind starting this lifestyle hub and why did you wanted to do that because not many I don't can't think of many <laughs> jewelry brands that have a lifestyle like article based blog on their website basically we realized that we had a community or a customer customer base of like-minded women mm -hmm. that all had very similar interests um, and passions so we had the idea for the lifestyle blog which was just something I mean blogging I used to love reading blogs back in the mm. day. They're not really a thing in, as much anymore. Um, but there's certain, for example, bed threads have got a really, I love mm. their, their blog with the recipes and interviews. I think I get a lot of enjoyment through mm. reading that. So I just thought, you know, we have a really great community of like-minded women. Um, why not ask them if there's anything that we can offer them beyond jewellery? Mm. Um and we just kind of wanted to have it so that it was a conversation as if you were going out for dinner with friends, what are the topics that you talk about? Mm. Uh, so travel, um, food, drink, recipes, mm. cultural, like what are you watching on Netflix right now? Yeah. What books are you reading? And the Lifestyle Hub sort of launched around COVID time. Mm. Um, so a lot of people were in lockdown didn't really have anything else to do <laughs> apart from be online and the, and sharing sharing ideas and recommendations and recipes. So that's sort of where it was 
born. In that time, we also spoke to people like um, psychologists in managing stress and um, in uncertain environments, so like COVID. Um, we sort of went beyond the jewellery world. Yeah. Since COVID, we've sort of brought it back mm-hmm. and made it more not just jewellery specific but relevant to our collections and um, styling. Still throwing a, a, a cocktail recipe mm. here and there um, but we've definitely sort of narrowed our mm. focus in just for the interest because now there's obviously people out and about. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're not stuck at home anymore. But I just, yeah, we just really enjoyed it. It was something that Mina and I did for our own personal enjoyment almost. Yeah. <laughs> it was like cool if someone read. But we we did notice a lot of feedback from our um, interviews and surveys where people wanting to know styling advice. Mm. So how to wear gold and silver together. Mm. Um, what's currently trending? How to stack rings? Mm. Um, and you needed that almost step-by-step guide because you see people do it really well and you're like, why doesn't mine look mm, like yeah. that? <laughs> it's like you're using the wrong products or the wrong colours, the wrong thickness Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, there is so much that goes into it. And I feel like the Lifestyle Hub as well, in a way, it does kind of build that community around Bianco, which is huge. Like if you're a brand and you are able to kind of have this little army of people, that, <laughs> that's the wrong word to use, but that's just the first thing that came to mind, you know, this army of people that just will rally behind your brand it's huge like and those people will stick by you until forever you know yeah and I guess it also we've got to a point now we've got a a pretty solid following Mm. and people want to know what we stand for what are what what do we believe in where are our interests what is the brand beyond just a jewelry store and Mm. so the lifestyle hub is something that we can use to Mm. um sort of add a little bit more personality Mm. yeah I feel like I feel like brands are getting a bit of pressure in this day and age to say what you stand for, especially mm-hmm. politically or religiously or like socially. I, I don't know. I think I'm I'm in two minds about it. I think you can stand for things, but I think people these days is just getting a little bit too much. And I think I think brands are feeling the pressure from people mm-hmm. often to to say this or say that or post this or post that. But yeah, I think if you go back to your own personal values and what's important to you, then you can figure out, okay, then what what do I think is important mm-hmm. enough to put out there and what do I think that is like, okay, I, I don't really need to talk about this. And the question that, that I do ask everybody that comes on is what are your good boss habits that keep you healthy and happy in your business? Do the things that you don't want to do first. <laughs> <laughs> So you make it to do like the jobs that you don't want to do, just get them done first Yeah, yeah, yeah. because they would just sit there and niggle away at you and be in the back of your mind and Mm. if you just get it done, they're done. (laughs) You mean like on a daily basis? Yeah. 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 I thought you meant like in life, like do the things you don't want to do. No, 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 on a daily basis. So like that's my habit is I might have a list of things or an email I really don't want to respond to. And it would just, I'll just put it off, put it off, and it's at the back of my mind all day. And then I'm just like, okay, I'll just get it done. Mm. Or like really annoying admin things or my accounts. Like, mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Finance. I just, if I know I have to do all my stuff, my accountant sent me a list of things that I need to do. I sit that list like right next to my desk and I can just see it. And until I just sit down and do it, mm. it's just, yeah, once it's done, I feel so much better and I can move on mm. with my day. So I that's my habit is to do the jobs that I want to do least first. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, apart from that, I do try and I've got um, a thing on my phone where after a certain time it will turn my notifications off. Mm. Um, so I try to not be on my phone all the time because mm. I do find not just work-wise but like socially and, and what's going on in the world right now, there's just so much information constantly and you're just – you get burnout and my mental overload um, constantly like trying to find the next thing, like what's happened now, what's happened now. Mm, um, and yeah. you really do just need to switch off. Um, so I try from about 8 o'clock at night um, my phone switches to like a, a focus and mm. um, I can still check it obviously but I don't get notifications and I find that really helps. And then I always start the day with a walk. Um, mm. So I walk the dog and I'll listen to I'll often listen to like an audio book mm-hmm. as opposed to a podcast because I find if I switch my brain to work too early, again, I feel that 
that mental load build on. So mm. once I go for the walk, I've listened to music or an audio book or something that's not work-related, I'll come home, have a coffee, get ready for the day, sit down at my desk and that's when work will happen. Mm. And those podcasts I'll listen to in like lunch break or in, mm. the, in the evening. Um, otherwise I just find I just send myself a little bit crazy because <laughs> yeah. it's almost like you, you hear a really inspiring podcast and you're like, oh, I need to do that too. And then it's just adding to your list of things yeah. that you need to do that day. Literally. Um, yeah, so that's they're my habits. Mm. Uh yeah, that's mm. what works for me. Mm. Um, but I'm sure everyone's got their own little. Mm. Well, it's funny, actually. I had someone else come on a few weeks ago and she was saying one of her habits is to not read a business book before going to bed. Oh, yeah. Because mm. then she'll be thinking about that right before going to sleep yeah. where you're supposed to be switching off. You know, that's yeah. if there's one point where you're supposed to be switching off, it's right before sleep. And then if you're reading a business book, then throughout your dreams, you might subconsciously mm. be worrying about work so I thought that was a really good tip and kind of goes yeah I try not to look at my emails until I sit at my desk Mm. because then I'm then I'm answering them in bed or like when I'm going for my walk or I'm thinking about them so I just wait until it's hard though because most of my team's over on the east coast so we're already three Mm. three hours behind but um yeah (laughs) they've learned as well like they'll they'll manage other clients first thing in the morning and then they know sort of roughly when I start in the day and that's when I'll get emails from them but yeah I um Otherwise, you just stress yourself out. Like, yeah. or late at night, you look at an email that's come in, and you can't action it there and then. Mm. Um, but it's just you think about it all night. Mm. So I think it's good to have those boundaries. And I think that's probably the one negative about working from home or working for yourself is that there's no um, boundaries. It's not like you walk away from the office and that's your job done for and the day. And you leave your computer there. Yeah, like, yeah, we have computers with us on our phones at all times. Yeah, yeah, now. definitely. So. Um, like friends and family and work colleagues know as well, like after a certain time I'm I'm not available. Obviously if it's super urgent they'll get in touch but mm. I sort of just work within certain time frames. Mm. And I also work on weekends because that's when I'll get um, like a lot of my admin or packing done but I prefer that because that's quiet time. People aren't emailing me mm. and I'll get a lot of the more like hands-on work done on the weekend and then in the, in the weekday it's just focusing on relationships and and those conversations and um answering emails that Mm. things that need to be done sort of in the day Mm. um and I can put my computer away at at five o'clock and and focus on switch off my other life get a cocktail (laughs) yeah (laughs) you've deserved it after all that packing gosh Mm -hmm. well it has been so fun chatting I think it's so fascinating to kind of get the behind the scenes of how a jewelry brand works I think we all you know, have these jewelry brands that we observe and that we buy from and that we love. So I think it's cool to know, you know, the behind the scenes and the business and how it all operates. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. And I think all of us look forward to seeing these eight collections in this coming year. <laughs> you to hold me to it. <laughs> so where can people find you online if they want to come have a look at what you've got? So the website's bianco.com.au. Um, and you can use that to then go onto our stockers page and find where else we are stocked. Otherwise, our um, Instagram is underscore Bianco. Perfect. Thank you again for coming on. It's been so much fun. And thank you for everyone listening. You know the drill. Leave a review and a rating. I think you can actually leave a rating on Spotify if you're listening on there as well. On Apple, you can definitely leave a rating and a review and subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes in the future. And make sure to give at Good Boss Podcast a follow on Instagram as well. And I will chat to you guys soon. Bye.